I'm goofing off from my goofing off job. <laughs> <laughs> I can't mute Facebook Messenger without muting you guys, and I kind of need to use that to talk to you to record the podcast, yeah. <laughs> rather than discussing discussing whether or not the podcast is psychologically damaging or not. I'll cover it up with out audacity, new audacity, because this is a new computer. Oh. So, who knows, maybe it's not even recording anything, we'll find out. I'll have to get on the train and come a long way and punch you in the balls if it's not. <laughs> We've made it all the way to the end of Series 5 without any absolutely catastrophic fuck-ups. I'd rather not start now. But there have been fuck-ups. Yeah, just not catastrophic ones. Fairly monumental ones, just not catastrophic. I mean, the mere fact that I'm trying to drink a beer with my moustache in this state it is is kind of a catastrophic fuck-up waiting to happen. <laughs> I'm already well past the stage of catastrophic fuck-up with my moustache. I mean, I'm eating hair on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. And I can't eat or drink anything without it ending up in it and stuck. The other day, I was yeah, I was I... sentenced to go and wash my beard because I'd managed to drop fried egg in it, and it was just, just a dribble of fried egg that I had no idea was even there. So I went and washed my beard, only to follow it up by eating a chocolate donut. I got chocolate in exactly the same place. Let's go do it again. You astute fuckers <laughs> disgust me. I'll stick with, I'll stick with being clean shaven and the odd weekend of designer stubble. Thanks very much. Oh yeah, the corporeal form is disgusting. <laughs> this is where Paul is smooth as an android's bottom. <laughs> That's Not this time of the day. Pretty rough. I should get myself some Edwardian moustache wax or something. Just proper handlebar that bad boy out. Yeah. It looks like you've got enough length and thickness to get like a proper... Yeah, um, proper curl going. Proper V, well, v for Vendetta flick to the uh, <laughs> Guy Fawkes corner of the moustache if he shaved off the beard and just kept the tash. <laughs> I reckon we need to start a crowdfunder for this. <laughs> a crowdfunder for Nathan to shave his beard? Yeah, we need to save up like 15 quid to take him to a barber's and have it hacked off. <laughs> 15 quid? It doesn't even cost me 15 quid to have my beard trimmed when I have a haircut. I'd say I have not had my haircut professionally since I was old enough to know that that was a profession. (laughs) (laughs) So I think if I was to start now, I'd have to pretend to be Swedish or something, and that's why I don't know what any of the words are. (laughs) As as thrilling as this conversation about your beards are, should we hit play because this is a double barter? Good idea. Let's start. Much like this episode, all good things must come to an end. Yeah, like your beards, goddammit. Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Do you want to signal when you've hit play or have you already done so? I haven't yet. Nor have I. Oh, shit. I had and then stopped it and then shut the window. Oops. Oh, God, you're probably watching it in Japanese encoding or something crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it off the Google Drive. Yeah, so you'll you'll finish before we will. <laughs> That's what she said. Weird use of pronouns, but on her part there, but never mind. <laughs> she wasn't alone. <laughs> I'm ready when you are. All right, three, two, one, play. Hey, talking of catastrophic perfects. Hang on, hang on, I can hear someone's show. No, it's better.
Hello and welcome to the last episode of Series 5 of Remedial Nerding. This week, oh, that's episode 16 for those of you who've been counting, and this week it's episode last of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is Series 7, episodes 25 and 26, All Good Things. <laughs> which opens with the exiting of what seems to have been a slightly romantic slash steamy holodeck visit for Troy and Worf, only for us to be greeted with Worf saying it was very stimulating. Only when pushed, it was yes. just stimulating to start <laughs> off. With. It was just stimulating. I think we've all had the conversation with our respective other halves where we're asked how something was and say, yeah, it was good, and that is not the correct answer. <laughs> just good? Oh, I guess it was very stimulating. Is that a better very answer? <laughs> However, we have not typically, well, at least I haven't, often had the conversation where I walk out of someone and then say, man, that scene we've just left that no one else saw was very visually interesting and expensive to shoot. <laughs> but this conversation is interrupted by Picard running up and shouting, what year is it? <laughs> in, his, in his dressing gown. Uh, is it a dressing gown or is it just his pyjamas? It could just be his pyjamas. And then he gets shifty side-eye from Worf, who's like, dude, I was literally about to get some. Cock-blocked by Picard. I need to get cock-blocked by the boss. Captain Cock-block <laughs> to the rescue. <laughs> Skip intro. Oh, I can't do that. Maybe if I watch the intro, oh, I've caught up with you, buddy. <laughs> Probably. You're going to have to go through a whole and now the conclusion bit as well. Patrick Stewart's definitely been Scrooge at some point, right? Yes, he has. So he's let, leant out a window and shouted, what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess he wasn't so much visited by spirits in this one as by his own future and past selves. He was his own ghost of past, present and future. Or was Q the ghost of past, present and future? Or was the anomaly the ghost? I guess Q was Marley in this analogy. <laughs> Wait, maybe maybe we're the ghost. Who <laughs> Q was dead the whole time. Well, Tasha was dead for two thirds of the time and Troy was dead for one third of the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was... Just watching the Netflix version earlier, so we obviously haven't got to see where he we beat C Tash again. But you can definitely tell this is several years after the original shooting of those scenes. Tasha looks considerably different. Denise Crosby and um, Marina Sirtis both look a lot older, even though they're made up to look as you know older they were seven years previously. I mean, they bypassed the whole Riker thing by leaving him on Farpoint and using leftover footage from season one, so he doesn't have to go and have a shave. <laughs> I did like it. Well, just just put some grey paint in his beard; it'd be fine. While Picard is monologuing to Diana, one thing I did think with this, obviously, this is the last episode, and it's the whole Troy Wharf relationship thing. The yeah. next time we see them is in Generations, where Wharf has just kind of come back for a bit, and it's never mentioned what happened, why they broke up. I'm assuming it's because he took the job at DS9 while they were. <laughs> Hey, do you want to leave the Enterprise and come sit on a far-flung outpost on the edge of a war-torn system? That's not even right, because Worf didn't leave for Deep Space Nine until after the end of Generations. I'm watching DS9, but I have not got as far as when Worf turns up, so I don't know if he has a scene where he talks about relationship problems with Morn or something. I don't remember it. Did he just like go for secondment on Kronos or something? Uh, no, because I'm pretty sure in Gen- I don't have to watch Generations, but I think Generations was filmed at the same time as this, so it was all the plot was done together. So I don't think there was any gap, and I think the idea was after Generations he couldn't be bothered to hang around while they built the E and went off to do his job on Deep Space Nine. Good old Google. 
I started to type, why did Wolf, Wolf and Troy and Google auto-completed to break up? <laughs> Long distance relationships, man. They're hard enough when you don't try and put relativity into it. Anyway, back to this episode. So we've now jumped into the future where Picard is made to look old, but still, he still looks older than he does now in real life, even though that's he is now older in real life than he is supposed to be in this episode. He's taken up viticulture in his retirement. I'm assuming he's on the uh, the family vineyard. Yeah, in, in Savoy or wherever he's meant to be from. Labar. But then we've got Geordie without his visor, which is a little look, well, nod ahead to first contact, except you can't nod ahead to it because no one had written it yet. This episode starts off quite slow-paced. It, it does, but it, it needs it, doesn't it? There's a lot to set up. It's, yeah, it's quite complicated one with the, the whole three-timeline premise. And like I say, it takes, it takes its time to set it up, and then actually it starts jumping, and the, the pace of the episode picks up as it goes through, which is a fairly standard thing for TNG that we've seen, that they start off slow and then pick up to the, uh, the climax. We are in, meant to take away that these alternate timelines are real, although not causally connected. That there's no braid shenanigans where his past actions changes the future timelines that he goes to. Yeah, it's a strange one. You can never tell with Q quite what's real, what's imaginary, what's you know an elaborate holodeck fantasy. It, it definitely seems to more sit in the infinite choices, infinite universe theory rather than the linear direction of time. I just got to the bit where he then jumps back into the past onto the shuttlecraft with Tasha and that look of shock on his face. Hmm. Yeah, so over the course of the episode, he, I guess, learns to navigate the time jumps because the first one, as we've seen, involves running out into the corridors in his pyjamas, whereas by the final act of the this episode, he just like flips back to year one, says something like, turn on the defibrillators, then flips back to year 25 <laughs> and says, okay, they're doing it in year one now. Yeah. There's an interesting bit about like the the passage of time in each timeline. They're like, was well, it happening at the same time? But then when he gets checked over in the the real time with Beverly, and she said, "Oh, you picked up two days worth of memories in the last fifteen minutes." Yeah, but doesn't explain what happens to Picard when he jumps. What happens to the other Picards? Because he jumps back to Troy, and when we left him with Troy to go to old Picard he was sat on the sofa when he gets back to now Picard he's staring out the window well there's a confounding factor which is that there's TV editing going on because when they when they bring up that point of oh you've experienced two days of memories we did not see him in the old timeline going to bed getting up brushing his teeth Hmm. now this makes me wonder what's the TNG episodes which have the shortest and longest in-universe duration I mean, I guess this one, because it goes minus three billion years at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in terms of, like, real passage of time, it's got to be, like, cause and effect has got to be the shortest. Oh, yeah, because that's meant to be, like, an hour and a half or something. Yeah, it's just the same hour and a half again and again and again. I was trying to think if there's any that are similar to the actual runtime, where the whole episode's in a single continuous... I'm sure someone's collated this information. D- disaster probably is. Yeah, maybe. There's a certain amount of cutting away from it, and then we climbed a ladder for 40 minutes or something. Yeah, but you watch just watch other people while they're doing the climbing. True. What's the one where Picard gets stuck on the ship 
with the the bandits who are trying to rob it while it's getting scrubbed for bugs or something. <laughs> while it's getting, that, that, getting that's almost fumigated. real time, isn't it? Yeah, quantum fumigated. Yeah, it's going through the. I was going to describe it as a death car wash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've already said this is a slow episode to start. We're talking about a lot of other stuff, which I think is really unfair because I think this episode is really good. I agree. There's a lot of interpersonal character building, I suppose, especially between Picard and Crusher. I'm not sure if you should call it building yeah. when it's in the last episode ever. Establishing. Albeit we now know we are going to get a Ambassador Picard series. Yeah, but we only find that out like 30 years later. This is true. But at least, uh, well, I think the big thing with this is, yes, it's the last episode, and they know it's the last episode, but they're not trying to give, oh, yeah, a cuddly, happy ever after type thing. It's still a lot of peril, and, and there is still character development for the last episode. Yes, by having time travel involved, they were able to have distant future where everyone's retired, but then also end on a to-be-continued adventures next week tone yeah just you know just in case they had to come back (laughs) this is a very good use of time travel as almost as a character as opposed to like the voyage home where they just go back in time and do some star trek shit in the past or even first contact (laughs) works like that where they just kind of go back in time and try not to cause a paradox whereas this the time travel is because it's backwards and forwards is integral to the whole narrative rather than just being a plot device to stick you somewhere different. Mm. It was a ballsy choice to call the Admiral still in his dressing gown. <laughs> he obviously felt self-conscious as he covered his chest wig with his hand. Good old Picard. If you just got to the bit where he stumbled. Yeah. yeah. So you've caught up with us already. Yes, old Picard has also been diagnosed with space dementia, which is why it takes him a while to convince everyone that He's <laughs> yeah. experiencing time in an unconventional fashion. <laughs> That's an interesting way of describing it. Have either of you read or seen The Time Traveller's Wife? No. no. The film's alright, the book is is good. It's maybe stereotypically a bit of a girly book, but in fact, I read it when me and you went to the Lake District, Nathan. Yeah. And I, I bought it and had finished it 18 hours later, which was quite impressive for a 400-page novel when you were sleeping in your car. <laughs> With a raging storm going on outside. The comparison I was going to make was to Fahrenheit 451, in which someone also has dementia and thinks they're time-travelling. I mean, in Time Traveller's Wife, not to spoil it too much, the protagonist jumps backwards and forwards through time randomly and has difficulty convincing people, but then he has a child who jumps backwards and forwards in time, but it's just a recognised disability by that point. <laughs> <laughs> Does he attempt to clean up on horse racing? <laughs> um, no, but he does cheat at the lottery. <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? He also does the other things that you would when he goes back in time as a teenager and meets himself as a teenager. I don't know if this says something about me as a person, but I've never particularly signed on to that supposedly universal <laughs> urge. <laughs> I've now just got the image of the uh, YouTube video of the guy with <laughs> the, the portal, portal gun. <laughs> My mom's telling me no! Me yes. I feel like there's a spectrum and most people exist apparently somewhere around that general pool. I'm about halfway to the full rimmer where I actually can't stand myself. 
I, I love that they go to Cambridge. Dayton's got a house full of cats, and it, it's very. It looks like it's a set from one of his holodeck um, Sherlock Holmes programs, and his English housekeeper. With someone driving past in a Star Wars speeder. (laughs) (laughs) I am actually unaware of whether or not this, the house of the Lucasian professor, actually exists. I mean, the professorship does, but I don't know if it gets a a house with a holographic fireplace. For all that I goof on Brent Spiner for being a massive clown, I think he does a good job in this episode, as the retired professor data is noticeably different in affect to the other two. Mm. There's a hint of lore to him, though. He's obviously... Supposed to have better hmm. emotions with a little smile on his face, and the tone of voice is subtly different. Definitely more human than he was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it does raise the question of why? Why does an android with effectively unlimited lifespan? Why does he need to retire after thirty years? Well, I mean, he's not retired. He's just got an extremely easy job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does that essentially mean that unless someone takes data out? Now, I'm guessing from the sounds of it, his position is like lifetime now. <laughs> Ten years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at that point you have to retire just out of good manners. And by retire, it's like, oh, maybe I'll go and be a coal miner or something now. <laughs> I mean, the only other two things I can think of that have tenure like that are the Pope and the Supreme Court justices, and even then the Pope has resigned in the past. I'm disappointed that there are no men wearing the dress skirts. See, this is the problem. You're now You're now ahead of us. Am I? Picard has just got to the uh, ceremony section. Uh, we've just caught up. Oh, yeah. So it took you about 20 minutes to get ahead of us from being the entire credits behind. They do have the Series 1 miniskirt uniforms. But only on ladies. Well, only on Troy plus one other person who I think they've now stuck in there for plausible oh, there's, deniability. There's two other. There's one in blue, one in red. But they have, A, you got Chief O'Brien. Well, they've got Cole Meany back and they've not locked him in the transporter room. He's, he's back in his red shirt. He is back in his red shirt, back on the bridge. And I like, I'm skipping forward slightly, I like that they address that as if it, it's like oh, what, one the, of them unspoken questions of how did he go from running, like driving the ship to manning a teleporter and becoming an engineering chief? Oh, wait, <laughs> he used to build model engines. The whole bit where he asks Worf to do something that's um, Tasha's job Tasha's is a job. little bit awkward. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, I forgot you weren't dead. When, yeah, when he's back in year one, or series one, he is being incredibly erratic on account of he keeps saying things like, I decided not to tell anyone that I'm a time traveller. <laughs> and therefore I'm just going to walk off the shuttlecraft and immediately declare a red alert. So they've just done that on mine. Uh, I did notice that one of the randoms in gold did a re- very strange, very straight arm and legged waddle across the front of the group. Like, no bend in her mid-limb joints at all. <laughs> I'm not going to go back and look for it. We don't have that kind of time. No. Uh, now he's using his super-secret captain's eyes-only captain's log to <laughs> yeah. to expose his yeah, to exposition his feelings without exposing to the rest of the crew that he might be a nut job. <laughs> it hadn't occurred to me up until now that the implication there is that he is writing down, I've decided not to make any record. Yeah. I'm making a record of me not making a record. Maybe that his plan was to eject the cassette tape and burn it with a big lighter, but then everyone <laughs> came in for the morning meeting or whatever. Oh wow, this came out in May 1994. 
as early as that. Yeah, well, that's, it means it's a year older than mine and Dan's baby sisters. Hell, I was still nine when it came out. That was the beginning of the end. What, the birth of the younger sister? Yeah. Nathan never experienced the beginning of the end. He's going to live forever. <laughs> yeah, but he's got a younger brother. I mean, you've got two younger brothers, as well as your sister, so I'm not quite sure where that works. Yeah, but my sibling was born before I was old enough to remember a time of not having one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. And also, possibly as a consequence of becoming a maths teacher, looks significantly older than I do. <laughs> <laughs> In my maths. opinion, at least. Maths never changes. <laughs> Faces of math, yes. I do like back in season on season one Enterprise now, they've got new orders. Forget Farpoint, go to go to the, the, the Delving system, whatever it is. And he's like, yeah, fuck that, we're going to Farpoint. And everyone is just, what? We're going to Farpoint, there's a... There's a- quest giver there that I need to talk to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've already done this run. He's going to attempt to speed run Star Trek. Well, he's basically, like, prestiged. He's already unlocked all the captain skill points over the last seven years. He's now prestiged and reset. He's got to reallocate the skill points, but he also knows where all the quest givers are and all the uh, <laughs> all the hidden artefacts. Yeah, and the end of the dialogue tree for all the crew members. Which, unfortunately, it's not particularly working out well, so he's having to convince O'Brien that he does know how to use a transporter. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there must be a more senior engineer on board the ship. Well, we addressed this at the beginning of this run where they just had, like, a different engineer every week. Yeah. Who was... McDougal or something? Where's McDougal? (laughs) Because Geordie wasn't chief engineer. No, Geordie was a bridge officer as well. Yeah. This bit's quite amusing where Data's trying to learn how to use a, a euphemism. Or an idiom. Yeah, about burning the midnight oil. Or, as Data <laughs> so eloquently puts it, igniting the midnight petroleum. <laughs> and much as we discussed with Worf in Parallels, Picard instantly recognises, if I need to tell someone something that makes it sound like I've completely lost my mind, Data's the one to go to. <laughs> Because he considers every question in total good faith. Yeah. I did like the uh, the fact when he goes to see Data and he's like, I think you're actually going senile, but I can't disprove what you're saying, so let's attempt to prove it. <laughs> That's how science works. Will doesn't get a huge amount of screen time in this. It's fairly significant what there is, though, because at least in the final act, he's a major character. True. He hasn't shown up a lot to the point, and yeah, in season one, as we discussed, rather than making him have to be beardless for some of the time, mm-hmm. he's just a, on the clip show machine. <laughs> it was just yeah. I was wondering if you're going to raise this, the shades of grey analogy there. I'm so glad they put collars on the uniform. I agree. That's just what I was thinking. It looks <laughs> a lot less like they're going swimming. <laughs> Although not too much colour as we had in. Yesterday's Enterprise, was that it? Yeah. Where they had the sinister turtlenecks of war. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the ones where they started off with, they they actually they were very 80s, weren't they? Yeah. I like the, the sort of the karmic come around from the beginning of the episode where Troy was like, why do we need to talk to Riker? It's none of his goddamn business. 
to being called just after the the meeting, literally between Worf and Riker. <laughs> with Worf giving the look of fucking told you. <laughs> I told you. But then Riker is also being a total good guy of saying, oh, I get it. Sorry, I didn't mean to in- embarrass you. And then brooding over it for apparently the next 30 years. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the implication in in future timeline where he's engrizzled in, in, in every t- sense of the word. Engrizzled. <laughs> I'm not sure engrizzled has any senses, but it does now. You knew what I meant. Oh, yeah, no, I like it. I'm... I'm... I guess Boogerizzled is slightly more real. Engrizzled. Engrizzified. Are you at the Beverly War Milk with Nutmeg scene yet? Yes. Yeah, where she just walks in and orders him milk. Yeah. And then they, he sits on the edge of her bed and has a they have a very tender moment that ends with smoochy smoochies. And it's, it's not a friendly smooch, it's a I like you like you smooch. Full on smooch. Yeah, so let's get married and then divorce smooch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want you to be the future ex, Mrs. Picard. Can you just imagine though, Picard going, oh, Wesley, Wesley, what, Captain? No, no. Call me dad. <laughs> Your mother does. Daddy, <laughs> that is. I can't believe he Skype called me on the transcendental plane of warpness. <laughs> just, just to tell me, just to, to have this daddy. conversation. I hate you. You're not my real dad. <laughs> I'm going to explore the universe. The Wesley Crusher, the forever teenager. You just don't understand me. I'm into all this new age energy shit. Anyway, I've got to go, Captain. Tom Paris is about to crash into the warp barrier. <laughs> <laughs> I need to turn them into a lizard frog thing. <laughs> That's such a weird episode. See you at Troy's wedding, or maybe we already did. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit odd, the way he just reappeared there for the first time in years. I'm, I'm loving um, future Geordie's suit, although nobody seems to change clothes. <laughs> I can't see Geordie's... Oh, there we go, there's Geordie's suit. And he's just getting Picard up now. Yeah, Picard does still seem to be wearing his garden outfit. I, it's like, I don't think it's his garden outfit. He's changed his from his garden outfit, but he is in old man. I think I should have been a settler in settlers. Brown is obviously the colour of choice for the future. <laughs> this guy knows what I'm talking about. He wore the brown pants. I hope there's a the time when I get older and I can just go right, right, Klingons. <laughs> just. I'm looking forward to being wildly confused about world events in my old age. <laughs> As for anyone that's kind of 50 or older, their form- formative memories of what Spain is like was a fascist dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Amnesty International was founded to combat political prisoners in Portugal. Like the Simpsons episode where Burns, at the age of 29 or something, dismisses Japan as a nation of sandal-wearing goldfish farmers. In much the same way, Klingons have gone from being horrifying lizard dog monstrosities to good pals who you have around for painstick-involved um, celebrations. <laughs> back to horrifying monsters. Painsticks were not used enough. Well, uh, didn't they get sort of revived in DS9 during the relationship of Worf and uh, Jadzia? I'm sure they were mentioned more than once. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, they were. I'm sure they were in DS9 at some point. Yeah, so phones up the now big grizzled Admiral Riker to say, 
hey, can we have a spaceship to go and look at this t- temporal anomaly? <laughs> no. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. I know you've been diagnosed with space dementia, and that colours my inf- my reaction to your <laughs> desire to send a galaxy class... Well, not galaxy class, but those have been re- redundant for 20 years. Uh, to go and send a top-of-the-line warship into a politically sensitive fight with Spain. If a data turns around and says, hey, I've got an idea, why don't we steal an ambulance? <laughs> you might as well say, hold my beer. <laughs> Cue the entry of the most ugly starship in the whole Star Trek canon. <laughs> As starships go, it is the oddest Starfleet vessel out there. Is it the saucer section being replaced with the cake pop kind of thing? It's just a yeah. ball, isn't it? It's a lollipop with nacelles, isn't it? That's that's what, it's what we've section. got. I'm going to nominate Oberth class as the ugliest ship. I think I'm pretty ugly. Streamrunner's not great either. Pastor is Olympic class. There you go. Oh, we need clearance to cross the Klingon border. Who can we ask? If only we knew a Klingon. Oh wait, yes we do. <laughs> it is also remarkably ugly inside that ship. Yes. It looks very Discovery-ish to me. It's, it's got that old look of... We've never updated this ship, even though we could easily. We're just going to leave it running on 200-year-old technology because it's still going. Well, it's still running 1994 version of Elkars. <laughs> it's like having your iPhone still running iOS 1, which wasn't technically called iOS at that point anyway, but there we go. I do quite like the future space uniforms, though. Yeah. Yes. I also think Kate McFadden seems extremely plausible as a captain. Year one data being asked to look for anything unusual and then just telling Picard that all of space is unusual, it's space. <laughs> so I quite like how we get the, uh, the juxtaposition of me and Nathan seeing Beverly going, well, if Picard wants to go on one more mission, then we'll go on one more mission. Oh, wait, Data's <laughs> goofing off. So they actually did quite a lot to make the original or the early timeline bridge the same. So that not only are they wearing the early uniforms, they've also got the really reclined front seats. Yeah, I noticed that as well. It looks incredibly uncomfortable to attempt to operate your iPad from lying down in bed pose, basically. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that must have been like just to the. We're, this is a no stress kind of job, so you can literally sleep on in your seat whilst you're at your post. Yeah, Picard is now sh- shouting for Q, and everyone's going, "What the fuck's this guy on about?" I am a little bit ahead of you, but he's sequence broken Star Trek by going to the wrong place too soon. <laughs> Although, having said that, it then goes into his ready room and Q goes, ah, just messing with you, here I am. <laughs> There's been a lot of foreshadowing of Q to this point, but seeing the random mutated peasants, mainly yeah. in the future timeline. Yeah, the angry audience from his trial for, for humanity from Encounter at Powerpoint. I was going to say this must be the like episode one, episode two break, but actually we're not quite there yet. Yeah, not not quite. No, I think that's so I'm watching the Netflix version, so I didn't really notice when it shifted when it passed the 45 minute mark yeah <laughs> it's judge q to you <laughs> a dangerous savage child race <laughs> you are now about two seconds ahead <laughs> i have gone back a few minutes john that's his name john delancey yeah acting up a storm he always in does hat and red gloves i know we said we dislike the character of q but john delancey does play him very well oh yes yeah, totally I mean, I think Picard would be entirely justified if he just jumped on there and punched Q in the face. Well, Cisco would. Smash <laughs> <laughs> does. Cisco and Picard are very different captain types. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Whereas Janeway, I'd say, is cut more from the Picard cloth. 
Well, I think that was a conscious decision, wasn't it? To make Voyager a return to TNG tastes. Yeah. Return back to proper Star Trekking. I'm going to maintain that DS9 is the best series. I think you're probably right. By which it's possible I'm just saying it's the series that was on when I was ages 10 through to 15. Next Generation has better episodes, some some of, but DS9 is definitely the better series because it was written, certainly from series sort of three onwards, with an overarching storyline. There's a little more continuity from week to week, character progression, major storyline progression, which TNG didn't really do. And it was more of the Monster of the Week variety, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, for most of this, Curie's just a dick. I don't know, I got the impression he was being the, what's the appropriate analogy here? Someone who's giving a test but very subtly giving away the answers. <laughs> oh, he definitely gives some pointers and some hints. I'm going to call you an idiot while secretly letting you know you're on the right track. Yeah. John Delancey is totally still acting, and not just in My Little Pony. <laughs> Although he is in that. He's, I think he's the dragon version of Loki. I think we've discussed that before as well. Hmm. well he's also playing Mephistopheles in something in 2015. <laughs> Someone's probably going to write in and tell me I'm pronouncing that wrong. Oh, he was in SG-1 at some point. I better close this window. <laughs> You're going to end up down a rabbit hole. Oh, wow. Titus received a Nielsen rating of 17.4%. I've no idea what that actually means. It was the highest ratings received by any episode of the season and of the series. I think that the Nielsen's rating is just viewer numbers, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I think it's possibly share of people who were watching something on TV at that time. I think they used to actually give like um, selected families actual boxes to route their TV viewing through, and then it used to record what they were what or what channel they were watching when. So it would literally record eighteen thousand families or eighteen thousand boxes are watching this channel at this time of day. Interestingly, the next highest rated episode was Encounter at Farpoint. <laughs> I think that is not an uncommon pattern. You get a big rush of people who check out the first episode and decide it's terrible. And then people who have watched like two out of every three episodes during its actual run make an effort to tune in for the finale. I mean, all that's very messed up these days with you know, video on demand like Netflix and also catch up TV. I very, oh, yeah, very rarely right. end up watching anything when it's actually on the telly. The expectation is now that you watch every episode, as opposed to try and catch it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. In 1994, I suppose it was you either saw it when it was broadcast, or you managed to tape it onto your home VHS set. Oh, we had metres of boxes of 180 <laughs> and 240 long play VHS episode with about four episodes. I think four to six episodes on each one. I remember we at one point we had a video player that the... The timer function was shit on it, so I had to go home from somewhere else just to set press record to catch the episode. <laughs> I think we missed one, which was the first episode of season two, and then when we watched episode two, it was like, who the fuck is this? Why when did Beverly turn into an old grumpy bones? <laughs> I'm like, what? We, we missed the bit where she was introduced, and then obviously since then I've seen series two, episode one, where Pulaski turns up, and no, she's not introduced, she's just there. Yeah. So just like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll explain her later, it's fine, don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank God she didn't get a cameo in this one. <laughs> I don't think you didn't like Polanski. Or Pulaski. Pulaski. Either way. Were you describing the character from Red Dwarf? What's her name? Kachansky. K- there you go. Kowalski. That's not even remotely similar. <laughs> Rhymes with Underpansky. Underpansky. Lister used that one like three times. Old Dwarf. 
You skipped ahead again. Also unconvincingly begrizzled. <laughs> Engrizzled. Is it like flammable and inflammable? Doesn't matter whether you're engrizzled or begrizzled. <laughs> they both just mean your grizzle factor has gone up. I like the fact that they got to this point and they're like, do you know what? Picard needs to get old again. Let's just give him a beard. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a few liver spots painted onto his head. I feel like old timeline Picard does shout more than the other two, which probably adds to their maybe it's the space dementia thing. <laughs> Although, yeah, having just... said that, maybe it actually is space dementia. I don't know how time travel works. Maybe his brain's a bit more wrinkled now. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not only is Worf old, he's also young, because he's just a petulant teenager. I feel that Geordie is, occup- is now occupying like the engineering station on the bridge. Now, do you reckon that like Beverly was just like, yeah, dude number three, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> this guy who no longer works for Starfleet is taking your job because he's just better than you. <laughs> it does take a three-hour lunch. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not saying you're shit, but this old guy's better than you. Captain, I want to talk to you about your performance. People think you're fucking crazy. Captain, the crew all think you're fucking nuts. <laughs> you're off your fucking rocker. <laughs> a Frenchman speaking English? What? This is a weird question, but are you a time traveller? You have to tell me if you are. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I realise the Forge was still a lieutenant at this point. I am enjoying that in Picard's experience in uh, year one, he's getting to experience the same audience surrogate nostalgia trip when Troy kind of <laughs> haltingly says, by the way, Riker and I have a history, didn't know if I should mention it. And his look just says, that is totally adorable. <laughs> I know everyone on the ship way better than you, a empath should realise is normal. <laughs> I've earlier had to pretend that the Starfleet personnel files to say what people's childhood hobbies and cats' names are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we learned something about the replicators, though, because they don't know how to make Earl Grey. Yeah, they've not programmed it in yet. Yeah, I find that hard to believe. Not enough space on the USB drive. <laughs> <laughs> and upgraded to the 64-bit version. <laughs> This is the point where the episode starts to pick up pace, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're getting close to... I, I must have gone past the transition then. Yeah, I didn't notice where it was. Have you found that done, or is it one file on no. Google Drive? No, I think it may be one file. So was it just a double-length broadcast? I guess it must have been. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is all one file on Google Drive. But this is definitely episode two now. So just looking through the thumbnails on Netflix, I think the transition was actually the end of the conversation with Q. Yeah. That would make sense, I suppose. That was about 44 minutes. It, it did get a, a slightly prolonged dark cut. Right, because, damn it, Beverly, it's not enough. Maybe we could jam a time screwdriver into space and see what happens. <laughs> well, we've got an inverse tachyon beam that can scan beyond the subspace barrier. What, is there nothing the that tachyon and inverse tachyon beams cannot do? I mean, we said, yeah, is there nothing that subspace can't do? And what subspace can't do, you can do with either a tachyon or inverse <laughs> tachyon beam. With those three at your disposable, disposal, you can do anything. Well, there is a, a fun tech moment here where in future timeline, I think Data says, why don't we jam a time screwdriver in it? And then middle timeline, they say... Picard says, hey, do we have a uh, time screwdriver? 
And I think Data's response is something like, oh yeah, they've built one, but we don't have one. Maybe I can turn the main deflector dish to screwdriver setting. <laughs> so deflectors to screwdriver. And in version one, he goes, I had no idea you were on the cutting edge of temporal research. <laughs> uh, no, no, but I have friends who are. I'll invent a setting clicker so that we can set the deflector dish, dish to time to time screwdriver. Even Q had to sit in the makeup chair. <laughs> <laughs> so that he can start dropping hints for time travelling Picard. So is he just in disguise from the rest of the continuum? I think he's just <laughs> taking the piss out of old Picard. True. I like how Geordie essentially just started as a MacGuffin to see, like, fake walls and things in Farpoint Station. For some reason, I can never remember that guy's name, even though he's one of the most distinctive actors around. Who? God damn it. Well, if I remember, Dan, I'll tell you. But no, which character? Geordie. Oh, LeVar The LeVar Burton. It's because his name sounds like a biscuit or a bottled water brand. Reading Rainbow fame, isn't he? Yeah, I think to most Americans, probably more famous for reading Rainbow. Although apparently he's German. <laughs> in the sense that he was born in Germany. Ah, US Army Landstall Regional Medical Centre. That would make sense. <laughs> I like this next one. They kick on the time screwdriver, and everything goes a bit wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, and um, Geordie's eyes start to fix themselves. And then the nurse comes along and says, we've got reports that people with scars, even though we can heal skin without leaving scars, um, they're saying they're healing. And you're like, oh, great. Fantastic. Now, this is a positive boom. And then, spoiler alert, later in the episode, said pregnant nurse loses baby because the baby regresses to a state where it's no longer a baby. Yeah, there's like a minute or so of, oh, this is actually pretty great. And then Beverly goes, no, no, this is going to fucking kill us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, no, not great. Fucking terrible. Or maybe scars are what you get in Starfleet times if you get in a kind of 147-hour situation. <laughs> like, oh, I've got terrible news. Having to hack your own hand off with a rusty blade means you're going to probably have a scar, I'm afraid. <laughs> Unless you go and hang out next to the time screwdriver, but we don't recommend that. It's <laughs> counterindicated. Especially not if you're pregnant or think you might become pregnant. <laughs> not to be operated by pregnant women. Or given that it's a time screwdriver, be pregnant years earlier. Who knows? Or maybe if they were pregnant, do they, like, does the, what happens to the babies just revert back to babies and then suddenly a woman finds herself pregnant again? Mm. I, you wake up and you're like, nine, you're nine months pregnant. <laughs> Fortunately, this is not explored too much. I feel like the uh, the Klingon engagement with the Pasteur and these two warbirds decloak next to it and start shooting it and it takes them like a full minute before Beverly orders, let's run, let, let's fly. <laughs> let's, let's... Well, especially as their shields dropped to 52% on the first shot. <laughs> that was a yeah, fate to commercial there. Oh, those are not birds of prey, Dan. Those are Vorchar-class attack cruisers. In fact, no, they're not even Vorchar. They're the um, ones above that. Jesus, I can't remember them. I assumed they were weird future models, much as we're about to see the weird future model Enterprise with its three nacelles. Well, they were weird future models, but they get reused later on in the Dominion War. Oh, right, okay then. Oh, they're the Nevar-class. 
and this was their first outing. But they spent all that money making like the models, so they had to reuse them. Love that the Enterprise has a cloaking device, an extra nacelle, and just shitloads more phases. I also like in this engagement, I think probably for the first time in Star Trek, the Enterprise comes up from underneath the Klingon vessel. Yes, they're not thinking with portals, but they are thinking in 3D. I mean, the weird future Enterprise has a cloak, apparently. Yep. Well, Wolf had already mentioned the fact that they could have had a cloaking device. But the future Enterprise also has a third warp nacelle, which breaks one of Roddenberry's rules of warp nacelles, and a massive cannon underneath. (laughs) Wait, wait. Roddenberry's rules for warp nacelles? Yeah, they're supposed to come in pairs. I feel sure I've seen at some point a drawing of a spaceship of a Federation ship that had one. Yes. which looked incredible, more like a lollipop than anything else, even the pasta. It looks more like a pizza cutter that one. Yeah, that's yeah. Warp thirteen. Yeah, you just changed that the scale. That has caused so many arguments. How far am I ahead of you guys now? Oh, probably about a minute. They, Warp and Riker are just having their showdown on the bridge of the Enterprise. Yeah, and old Picard is having to go, can you can your tragic backstory, please? <laughs> We've just been transported onto the Enterprise because the pasteur has got a countdown timer on it that's going 3, 2, 1. Although it turns out the personal back tragic backstory didn't actually delay them that much because it just exploded anyway. Yeah. Side note, The Way of the Warrior, which is the first episode of Series 4 of Deep Space Nine, which is the episode that Worf makes his first appearance, was 18 months after this. It was October 95. In fact, even that was out before my little sister was born. <laughs> I like the fact that during the argument with Riker as to we need to stay and work out what the fuck's going on to save humanity, Bebby just walks up behind him and just jabs him with a needle and puts him out. <laughs> just... Does this smell of chloroform? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, we haven't got to the reveal of the true stakes, but they've, in all three timelines, started jabbing space with uh, time screwdrivers now, I think. And there's this swirly time problem that's mm. a big deal in season one, somewhat a problem in season seven, and not there at all, mysteriously, in old man makeup timeline. <laughs> in big grizzled timeline. You know, ever really noticed the massive chunks of marble that the uh, conference table uses as legs? Yeah, it's pretty substantial. In a classic Picard face palm, yeah? <laughs> or more accurately, a contemplative brow rubbing for Q to turn up wearing his fake uniform again, which I assume he does to troll Picard. I think Picard's just used to it by now. We have to put up with some of Q's shit when he's staying, hey, shall we go 13 billion years in the past? Well, not, sorry, 3 billion years in the past and look in this weird pile of goo. <laughs> It's the primordial ooze, and also, if you look in the sky, you'll see that the weird time problem is now two-thirds of the entire sky. There is a classic feature of Star- the good Star Trek episodes, at least, that you figure out what's going on slightly sooner than the characters do. Yeah. It's one of the problems with Sub Rosa, is that what's going on is explained during the climax. So the problem is set up and resolved in the same scene. Hmm. Dun-dun-dun... Like I say, I enjoy the characters figure it out slightly slower than the audience, but it's a difficult balance to calibrate because otherwise it starts turning into the yeah, Institute for slowly and painfully working out the surprisingly obvious. <laughs> Which I suppose is one area where Q being a cryptic fucker actually kind of helps. 
Just hit that bit you were talking about earlier, Nathan, of uh, Data's good idea in Season 1 becoming Picard's good idea in Season 7. Oh yeah, I completely misjudged it. There was actually a significant... Oh, yeah, this is the point in which he's, in the process of figuring out the puzzle, managed to get a look inside the time problem and discovered, hey, there's two other Enterprises in there sticking screwdrivers into stuff. And this time problem works exactly like a British power outlet in that you need all three pins jammed in there before you can really electrocute yourself. <laughs> Not sure that's quite how that works, but pretty sure I could do it with two. Yeah, I suppose so, if you take your shoe off and stick your feet in some water or something. Uh, the conversation with Riker in 10 Ford, and it's just like, you know, they were going to mothball and decommissioned the Enterprise five years ago, but I stopped it and pimped it out as my own personal ride. I want that one. I want that one, and I want to put a big gun on it. So does that mean that there was what was going to be the Enterprise G, or whatever they're up to now, but is it now instead called the, I don't know, the Hood G or something? <laughs> yeah, there, there must be sovereign-class starships out there. Yeah, and this time like, the D didn't get destroyed, and who knows what else did or did not happen. Sovereign, I mean, the lead time for a design like a Starship was probably 20 years or something. So, yeah, probably are out there. I feel like the grizzled Riker should have someone playing piano sadly behind him at all times. <laughs> or someone with just... a very, very sad violin. Or the occasional no, sad piano. It's a kind of out, slightly out of tune piano that's been in the bar too long. No, it is the Simon Mayo violin music. Oh, it's interesting how Will's chatting to um, Crusher about well, him and Worf losing Troy. It's the one person that we know has lost a partner. Oh, yeah. Grizzled Beverly is actually now Beverly Picard and has elected to keep using the name. Which seems like a weird professional choice, in my opinion. It is a bit of an odd one. Because Picard was the captain of the flagship for at least seven years. To then transform your own professional identity with the same name seems tricky at best. But then Captain Crusher doesn't sound like the captain of a medical support ship. <laughs> I mean, maybe she just appends everything with MD. You just don't see that on like a signature block on the email. It's uh, yeah, Captain, uh, yeah, that, Captain Picard, that's MD. Awesome. This is Captain Crusher of the USS Blood Axe. We're here on a mission of mercy. (laughs) (laughs) I think I seem to recall this was one of the critical failures in design of the short-lived Star Trek MMO, is that it allowed users to name their ships whatever they wanted. It's It's still going. It's still going, yeah. Maybe by short-lived I mean, once I heard that, I'd never give it another moment's thought. It it moved to a free-to-play game. Model. Maybe I should see if it's available on the iPhone. <laughs> I don't not. think it's available on the iPhone. We might have to find you a console of some kind. It would. I think that, as I say, critical design flaw in my opinion, because I think the most internet designers are slowly coming around to my way of thinking, which is that you cannot trust users. There are seventy-five thousand USS Boating McBoat faces. Exactly. No, there. Are- they're a starship, so it would be Shippy McShipface. <laughs> I mean, there have got to be hundreds of USS 420 Blazits. <laughs> but 
Which way does the sh- does the starship turn when it turns? Does it lean into a turn or out? Because if it, they, I'm pretty sure they lean in, so they're a boat. <laughs> well, that's because they bank like a plane rather than turn like a ship. Anyway, I feel that you, if you're running that service, you have to be like the Icelandic government and say, "Here is your list of approved names. Please choose one." <laughs> I mean, if going back a step, if you think about it, when they turn down, what they actually need to do is rotate a whole ninety degrees to the right and then pitch up. If you're going to do it that way, <laughs> yeah. Because if you turn forty-five degrees without gravity pulling you down, you're just going to go up and right or left, depending on where you're turning. And if people say, "Well, why don't they just f- turn flat?" If you've ever been on a plane landing in a crosswind, you'll know why you don't turn flat, because when people are getting thrown sideways, generally then start throwing up quite madly. Yeah, but they've got artificial gravity, so maybe it should just look really stupid. Well, true. Maybe it depends just depends how good your inertial dampeners are. Yeah. I wouldn't want to try that if they weren't working. That would look very weird on screen for viewers accustomed to spaceships work like boats or possibly planes model of... <laughs> visual storytelling, if it was just going along and then stopped dead, turned 90 degrees on its own axis, and then sped off again. I think spaceships are like zombies. You've got fast spaceships and slow spaceships, and Star Trek fits in the uh, the fast spaceships category. Wasn't it um, Battlestar Galactica that essentially went, yeah, these ships are in space, and no, we can have them going in one direction turn 180 degrees to shoot what's behind them while still going in that original direction. That's how space works. That is how space works. Well, also in... I think it's The Expanse does that, as in it has lots of establishing shots of spaceships arriving at places moving backwards because they're decelerating. The Expanse is actually very good with that. Do I need to watch The Expanse, then? You do want to watch The Expanse, although it does have issues like the fact that the crew are walking around in magnetic boots so they can film it under 1G, but then they open the cupboard while they're in zero-G and everything's neatly stacked on the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Or like the, um, I don't know if you ever played Traveller, which was basically the love child of Star Trek and D&D, as in 90s D&D, as in the rule book's 500 pages long and absurdly overcomplicated. <laughs> there are five separate skills for engineering. That sounds about right. But in that, space, the way space travel works by default is that everyone's got a massive teleportation drive and also basically an outboard boat motor to actually get you the last mile. <laughs> the teleportation drive works a lot like setting a bomb off so you have to turn off all the other power on the ship and then throw a massive cl- um, blade lever while everyone's in the brace position Picard gets to season 7 Enterprise and just walks down the like, the ramp in the bridge and he's like yeah set a course for the centre of the anomaly and then get ready to establish a static warp shell and at no point does someone go other than data, does anyone know what the fuck a static warp shell is? <laughs> How the fuck do I do that? Is that like essentially putting a handbrake on and then just trying to burn some rubber? Everyone's got shaky cams. <laughs> also, the recurring motif, which I always enjoy, of data being by far the least freaked out person when mm. shaky cam mode is on. Yeah. Although you're struggling in his reclined seat. Also, someone I don't recognise is driving some of these, so I've got a feeling their console's about to explode. <laughs> you never fully escape from that curse, Star Trek. And right at the end, Q is there just egging Picard on as if to just like try and get him to chicken out at the last minute and just power them out of the anomaly. He is now having to 
watch other iterations of him. So you managed to realize that time screwdriver was actually causing the problem they were trying to fix because time. So they're going to fix it for real by basically kamikazeing it. <laughs> we're going to put a big bandage around it and then just plaster over it and it'll be fine. Ship explodes, but instead of being in a ghostly King's Cross station, he's it back in Q's courtroom. <laughs> with all the booing mutant peasants dismissed. So that Q can say, congratulations, you solved the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> Suppose you're worried about your fish, too. <laughs> so Q turns up, like, twice in DS9, as I recall. And I'm not even sure if those overlap with this, or if this is actually the last time we ever see him. Uh, I'm not. I'm really not sure where they fit in. I think they're probably before this. But doesn't he's not in any of the films, is he? Is he in Voyager? Uh, I think he appears in Voyager. Ah, uh, he's not. But there are other members of the Q continuum that are. Return to Picard in his pajamas, interrupting Wolf and Troy after having just emerged from there, too expensive to actually shoot date on the holodeck. <laughs> Oh no, Q himself is in that episode of Voyager. Oh right, I think I, I now remember reading about that. It is the only Q episode that doesn't include a Q pun in it, in the title. And the reason that is familiar is because I have heard the theory that at some point in the shooting process it had a Q pun that was then vetoed by the studio. Yes, because it's all about, effectively all about assisted suicide. Assisted q Oh. No, 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 says the studio exec. <laughs> but technically, isn't this a Q episode without a Q pun in the title? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Stop discrediting wanted, my theories. I would uh, guess what spot what they've got wrong this week. <laughs> that is 1 0 to Dan. Mind <laughs> of this episode. It's the, um, the senior officers all playing poker, discussing it. You know, the changes to the timeline and the paradox and whether or not it's going to happen or not. Yeah, we learn in this season that Picard just said, although I was super worried about it earlier, I decided to say screw the Temporal Prime Directive or whatever it is and just tell everyone what I saw in my future visions. Data kind of squares the circle by saying, yeah, but that was a different timeline. Therefore, it's not cheating. It doesn't matter. Q did it. Ah, and then there were seven. I like how they all look like naughty school kids when he walks in the door. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Picard turns up having not ever been to a poker night before, apparently. And it's very sweet, in my opinion. It's a really good way to, to end the series. <laughs> they, they all shuffle uncomfortably. They're like, oh, great, we're going to get Picard fucking young boy poker shark stories now. <laughs> no, no, he's just going to go all misty-eyed and look around the table meaningfully. I think we said it in The Messenger, but this is an extremely Star Trek episode of Star Trek. Yes, it is. I thought it's quite a benign ending to it. It's got quite a lot of the feels in. With that last line from Picard. All of the feels? Well, not all of them, just most of them. As they then fly off, well, not into the sunset, but into the, the binary star system nebula. Mm. Off into the space. All of the space. Oh, I like the space. I'm glad they managed to make a good hour and a half episode at the end. Though. Well, I think the telling thing with that is that, obviously, watching it as a one piece, none of us could tell where it went from one episode to the other. There was no obvious cut. There was no cliffhanger. It was 
written as an hour and a half episode. Yeah. Which in 1994 would probably have qualified it as event television. Yeah. TV movie. I don't think feel like um, TNG as a whole petered out. I don't think season seven is significantly worse than any of the middle ones. No, season seven's really good. I mean, they're not as great as Duds that we spoke about, and we watched one of them last week, but some damn good episodes in series seven. They didn't do the whole flogging the dead horse thing and keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah, but they they definitely finished on a high and gave it a good send off. I don't know what else to say. No, I, I, I don't think that there is much more to say. I mean, we've covered the entirety of the, the episode and well, the span of the season as a whole. It's fair to say this is an extremely formative media product for all of our cultural upbringings. Yeah, I think I think that's why this episode has so many feels for me. Because it's, it's the end of a big part of my childhood. Yeah, it is titled All Good Things, and the in-episode rationale for that is that at some point, Q, when he's having his This Is The Stakes presentation in the middle, says that life on Earth will be ended, or have never existed, in some confusing mass of grammatical tense that happens when you've got a time problem that's <laughs> going backwards. And kind of wistfully says, well, all good things come to an end. But it's obviously talking about the season, the series, rather yeah. than a trivial thing like life on Earth. Ah, <laughs> uh, trivialities. So we have nothing to discuss about what we're watching next week because that is it for Series 5 of Remedial Nerding. Or Season 5, let's be consistent. <laughs> for Chapter 5. <laughs> Volume 5. We'll give each iteration its own type. <laughs> <laughs> descriptor its own class book 5 part 1 we don't one, even really know three. what we're doing for book, book 6 do we? no well I was going to say normally we've got an idea by this stage what we're going to do for the next season but we've not really decided yet the strongest contenders so far are Nicolas Cage or Frozen <laughs> I mean we're not going to do a whole season on Frozen or Nicolas Cage because one Frozen would be one episode and Nicolas Cage would be far too much to watch more than about two of from now on, this is the Frozen cast. <laughs> Each week we'll review one of the two-minute YouTube clips that my daughter is insisting on seeing six times a day. <laughs> Possibly the one where her parents die halfway through and she <laughs> asks me where they've gone. <laughs> Spoiler alert. To the bottom of the sea, apparently. But they've gone to star in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, big, biggest contender is some sort of um, spin-off remake spoof compilation. Mainly because I really want to watch the Nicolas Cage version of The Wicker Man. It's terrible. You just want to hear him shout bees. Well, I could just go and listen to the um, episode from season three where we watched the original Wicker Man and I put that at the end. Oh God, not the bees, not the bees. But I want to know the, I want to know the context, damn it. You can do a whole season of bee-related films. <laughs> One of the Halo ones, maybe? Was that something B-related? I, to be honest, I never played Halo beyond the kitchen level. And by level, I mean tutorial. <laughs> you could do the B-movie and um, Candyman. That is so weird. As interesting as this conversation is, it might be worth taking this offline because we've been recording for an hour and 40 minutes and I've got to edit this in <laughs> a week and two days. You'll be fine. <laughs> Just fade us down rambling somewhere, won't yeah. we? 
we'll, we'll just carry on. You, you just, you just do you, bro. Well, that is it for season five of Remedial Nerding. We'll see you out there. I should have done this a long time ago. You are always welcome. So, five card stud, nothing wild, and the sky's the limit. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.